0: The Blue Chandelier. My eyes chanced upon the blue chandelier as we entered, and I knew instinctively that I'd seen it before. Of course, I hadn't actually seen it before, I mean, but somehow I was convinced I had. The room was humming and fluttering, faces aglow with animated discussions, smiles flashing brilliantly across the room like relay watchtower fires. Laughter ringing, glasses tinkling. I stood at the threshold, still outside the magic circle, and absorbed it all in one casual, all-encompassing glance. Our old familiar gang of friends. And yet, the evening had a certain je ne sais quoi, an indefinable pizzazz. I could feel its tingling energy even just standing there in the doorway. Above this bustle, the chandelier. The central drum, it had blue geese in flight all around it. It was magnificent. And it was achingly familiar in a totally incomprehensible way. Gracefully curving royal blue arms and blue-tipped lampshades flaring like the trumpet on an old hand-wound gramophone It should have looked garish. Coloured chandeliers often did. But it didn't. It was awe-inspiring. Jaw-dropping. Tabu tugged gently on my elbow, and I breathed. It's too gorgeous for words, isn't it? She gave me a nonplussed look. Huh? The chandelier, said I, quite enthralled. She looked at me, out at the chandelier, back at me, nodded dismissively. Yeah, it is. Now let's move. We're standing right in the doorway. I moved, as instructed, and heard her muttering, It's just a big blue light. We merged into the surging sea of our friends. Tabu muamwad all around and held out the obligatory welcome to our city gift as we met our hosts, the new couple in the city. We'd been told he was on a meteoric rise. They'd just relocated here, but they were friends of friends. They looked nice enough, about our age or maybe a little older, people like us. In fact, I'd heard he'd grown up in Mumbai too, like I had. But there was too much of a hubbub to have a nostalgic, do you remember? grabbed a glass of something sparkling nabbed some delicacy as it drifted past on a tray and plunged straight into frenetic conversations on work politics and families there was so much to catch up on (laughs) I moved around the room from one cluster of friends to another circulating as it's called I was drawn into the conversations as always let me not deny that but above it all From everywhere I stood or sat or sipped or nibbled, there was that big blue presence and the eeriest feeling of déjà vu. Though for the life of me, I couldn't imagine where I could have seen it. It drew my eyes relentlessly, no matter how diligently I tried to avoid it. Even if I turned my back on it, I would see it reflected in the window panes the spectacles and even the wine glass of the person I was talking to was no ignoring its presence. Others also commented on its imposing size and majesty and the sheer incongruity of coming across something like that in one of our homes. That much was normal. I have to admit, my reaction was not. I was completely and utterly entranced by it. The evening was indeed a resounding success, as I'd predicted. The newbies were good people, charming hosts, without obviously trying too hard, that was always a guaranteed spoiler. There was something very simple and down-to-earth about them, something that felt true, at least to me. I decided I liked them. They were friendly and gracious, and I took to them easily, and so did many others. They would fit well amongst our lot. In the car on the way home, Tabu was chattering away about the evening, how she'd liked this and that and what someone had said and what she'd done. I listened distractedly, for I was still turning the big blue over in my head. "'You're very silent,' I heard her say and I burst out with my whole I'm sure I've seen it before but I'm equally sure I've never she looked at me in surprise you still haven't moved on from that big blue light why is it so fascinating now that was just it wasn't it Tabu? I didn't know why the heck it was driving me crazy there was no other thought in my head I'm glad I wasn't driving us home that night. I wouldn't have trusted myself behind the wheel. I was just not there. I tossed and turned and muttered and floundered in bed that night, compelling Taboo to reach over and stroke my back calmly and gently till I drifted off. She sometimes needed to do this when I was very agitated after work. But over a light? This was her first. Tabu's gentle, sleep-inducing formula worked, and sleep did its thing. And I woke up the next morning, and I knew everything. I had indeed seen it before, or at least part of it. And what I had seen, then, and now, and what it meant, had my brain whirling. If what I had remembered in sleep was true, then this was an absolutely stunning story. And I'll share it with you since you've come this far with me, if you will permit. You see, when I was a very little boy growing up in Mumbai, I was devoted to my baby Aya, as we called them in those days. She loved me like her own, and I've always reciprocated her love even as an adult. So back in my babyhood, I'd kick up a massive fuss on her off days, refuse to eat and cry and disgraceful to admit stuff like that. And she knew it and agonised over it. But however much she coaxed and cajoled, I was unwilling to accept that she could have any life other than the one she shared with me. Let me add in my own defence that I was a baby, not even school age yet. So in despair at my bawling and in hopes of convincing me of the fact that she had a family of her own, she offered to take me to her home in the shanty. My parents must have been pretty much at their wit's end too because they fell in with the plan readily. She dressed me up smartly, shone my shoes, scrubbed my face and slicked my hair as if I was off to tea with the Queen and I had gone off excitedly with my chubby little fist around her finger. It wasn't far, even for my stubby little baby legs. The whole shanty had turned out to see this demigod whose praises she'd been singing to them, embarrassing to even remember, let alone recount. To get on with it, I was taken to her cramped one-room house, dark but clean, and met her family. No kids, which is why I was so important in her life, but a -a hard-as-a-nut husband, who probably resented me intensely, a pudgy old aunt and a visiting niece with two long plaits tied in gold ribbons, and a full press of the neighbourhood peering through the door and window at the rich kid. They'd got milk for me to drink and some cakes. She knew what I liked, remember, and I recall that I had a wonderful little time. Some of the neighbours, whom no amount of her shooing could drive away, came in and sat around and I chatted with them too. And then I'd wanted to see their houses and they were most honoured to have me visit. She argued with them and with me, but I was never going to back down and finally she gave in. One house, only one. Immediately, a scrap broke out on the subject of whose it should be. Finally, they agreed, and I could see she approved of the choice. Holding on to her finger again, I joined the procession that wound its way through the narrow, twisting bylanes lanes of the shanty. It must have been a regular pied piper scene. Kids were indeed running and skipping alongside as we marched. An advance party must have gone ahead to warn, as the mother was standing outside the house, with her head covered and her hands folded together, a little boy, perhaps a bit older than myself, was hanging onto the end of her sari, looking bright eyed and excited. My ayah and I were escorted in. A table had been set up with a steel tray and a small glass of milk, properly covered, and a packet of milk biscuits. And above this scene, shining almost irresponsibly, was a brilliant white drum of a light with blue geese in flight on it. That's where I'd seen it. And I was right. I had seen it and not seen it too. Because in that tiny room, there was place only for the central drum, not the full arms and crystal pendants and lamps. My memory surged back with full force. Sleep, the wonderful restorative had cleaned out the intervening years and revived that exciting day for me as if it had been yesterday. I'd asked my Aya later why her house was so dark inside and why this one was so bright. And she told me this fabulous story about the family who lived there. That they used to be rich and had lovely clothes and lived in a house like ours. But bad things had happened to them and they lost all their money and beautiful things and had to come live near her in a house like hers. But the father was determined to earn back his riches and he worked very hard and they lived frugally because he made them save every penny. And every night over their simple dinner, he promised the family that one day they'd be wealthy again and that until then, the beautiful light that he'd saved would serve as a symbol of the wonderful life they would certainly have again. And the mother, the little boy I'd seen and a sister I don't remember would swear to work towards his goal, all of them together. I used to love that story and would ask her to tell it to me over and over again and ask her how the family was Till at some point she said they'd left the shanty and she lost touch with them. And so did I, even at second hand. I don't know if I believed it to be a true story, even at age four. But I loved it nevertheless. But perhaps it had been true. Then this, our host last night, must have been that little kid in his ragged khaki shorts and bare body whom I remember jumping excitedly at the lady's side. And it seemed the dad, or perhaps the meteoric rising sun, had kept that promise and revived the family's fortunes. Then the crystal drum, with its blue geese in flight, had played its part in keeping the dream alive when it could so easily have died. And if it had pride of place today in their home, it deserved that honour. You'll never convince me that they finally gave in and sold that magnificent blue chandelier to the highest bidder and salvaged what they could. I will never accept the possibility of that. Obviously, I can't go back and ask him, is what I remember true and are you he? Good thing there was no opportunity last night for that do you remember. We may have lived in the same city, but we wouldn't have shared the same world. And I can't tell this story to anyone, not even taboo. It's his secret to share or to conceal. So, I'm just going to swear you to secrecy. And for my part, I'm going to believe in a divine providence, a small, small world, and dreams really do come true.